Praise God for all your kids. Praise God for Sunday school and all the kids that are a part of Sunday school. Thank you, Luca. Thank you, Frank. Uh, you know, it seems like every Christmas service, this is when we try to do as much as possible within a two-hour span. And usually, it's a bunch of kids performing. All the parents are staring at the kids, hoping that they don't run off somewhere, wanting them to smile, sing louder. We're taking pictures. Everything that we do on a Christmas service, we, we do so much, don't we? And it never seems to go exactly planned. It, it's never perfect. But you know what? What we do on a Christmas service like we're doing here tonight, we're just doing the best that is humanly possible. We're just giving our best to the one who saved us. Amen? And though what we do is not perfect, he is perfect. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful that even though what we do, it just, it's kind of messy sometimes. Sometimes the, the flags are twirling and getting stuck and flying all over the place. But yet, somehow, in our mess, God is glorified through it all. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. Tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. And read verses 12 to 17. The theme of our Christmas service tonight is shining star. And so I want to try to stick with that theme in my sermon here today. You know, every time we get together for Christmas, we all know what's happening on Christmas. And in fact, you can probably ask anybody around the world what happened on Christmas. And everybody pretty much knows, well, that's when Jesus was born. Even if they don't exactly know who Jesus is, they know Christmas is when Jesus was born. Most people know that. In fact, I'm sure all of you know that. But the next question we've got to ask about Christmas is, why was Jesus born? Yes, Christmas is about the Son of God coming into this world, the infinite God coming into our world, becoming a man. Yes, that's the story. He was born, he died and rose again. That's the story. But why? Why did he do it? Why was it necessary? And I hope tonight, as we take a look at Matthew, we'll begin to answer that question on why. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, and as we normally do, if you're able to, would you stand with me as I read God's word for all of us here tonight? Matthew 4, beginning at verse 12, all the way through verse 17. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Tonight in the sermon entitled Shining Star, 
We want to take a look at especially Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. And as we take a look at this verse, I want to show you three things about the condition of the people that Jesus came to. We're going to see, number one, the fact that they sat in darkness. Number two, they saw a great light. And number three, they sensed a new day. When we read what we just read from Matthew, you may not know it or you may not realize it, but Matthew, in what he just said, he quoted an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied about 500 years before Jesus was ever born on the earth. And I think what Matthew was saying was that in his day, the day of Jesus, what was happening in his world in that day was what was happening in Isaiah's day 500 years earlier. You see, if we put this in context, Isaiah wrote these same words that Matthew just wrote. And if you look at the book of Isaiah, right from the very beginning in chapter 1, Isaiah tells us the condition of the people. The way Isaiah explains it is this. In Isaiah's day, they were in sin. They walked in sinfulness. They spoke in sinful ways. They were violent. They were corrupted. They were not with God. They were rebelling against God. And when times of trouble came, instead of seeking God, they were seeking false gods and idols. And Isaiah says they were so sinful, they were sick, like lepers. They were sick from head to toe. And the worst part of it, they didn't even realize how sick they were. They didn't even realize how dangerous their situation was. And as you continue to read the words of Isaiah, you come to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, once again, he says that the people are walking in sin. They're walking in darkness. Instead of seeking God, they're seeking demons. And the worst part of it all was that judgment was coming and they would not escape. If these people continued in their sin, Judgment was coming, and there would be no escape from it. And so as you read Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah sums up all of it by saying this, they will look to the earth, they'll look around them, and they will see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. In other words, they're walking in sin. They're walking in darkness, but it's going to get worse. They're going to be driven into darkness. And the judgment of God will come. And as Isaiah speaks these words to all the people, then in chapter 9, he begins with the word, nevertheless. Nevertheless. And in chapter 9, it's where Isaiah tells us, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And it's through this one who is to come. And that is Jesus Christ. And through the one that is to come, also a new day will come with this one. And so in Isaiah, we see the gloom, the darkness, the trouble that they're in. 
But yet there is this promise of a hope that someone is coming. Someone is going to be given to us by God. And he is alone the answer to the problem of the world. And so Matthew picks up those words. He picks up that same story because that's what he sees in his day. In fact, it's getting worse. And so in Matthew, Matthew shows us tonight the condition of the people of his day, but also he shows us God's solution to that condition. So let's begin with Matthew. Number one, these people that Matthew saw, they sat in darkness. Number one, they sat in darkness. Look at that verse 16 again. It says, the people who sat in darkness, those who sat in the region and shadow of death, the people being described by Matthew are in a worse condition than the people described in Isaiah 500 years earlier. How do we know that? Because Isaiah says they walked in darkness. Matthew looks at them and says they are sitting in darkness. There's something much worse than walking in darkness, and that is sitting in darkness. For example, in Psalm 1, Psalm 1 tells us about the wicked man. And the Psalm 1 says this about the wicked man, that he walks in sin, and then he stands among sinners until finally it gets worse. He's sitting in that sin. The wicked man goes from worse to worse. He's walking, and then he stands, and then he sits in that darkness. How many people today, they're involved with sin, they're walking in that sin until they begin to stand in that place. And it gets worse, and they find themselves sitting in that sin. And once they're sitting, it's almost as though there's no more hope. There's nowhere else to go. They're stuck in sin. Matthew said they are sitting in the darkness. James also tells us, for the people who are taken over with temptation, James says when a man is taken over by temptation and he sins, even if you think, yeah, but the sin I did, it was small, it was nothing, it was insignificant. James says that that sin, as small as you might think it is, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. So many people today play around with sin. And they think it's nothing. It's small, insignificant. Nobody else knows about it, so no harm done. The Bible promises you, if you continue to walk in that sin, that sin is not going to go away. It's going to become full grown. And it will bring you to death. Matthew looks out the, at the people and he says they're sitting in their darkness. They're in trouble. He also says not just sitting in darkness, but sitting in the shadow of death. You know that's a spiritual term like David who says, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will not fear. But some believe that the shadow of death 
was also a real place. In fact, when Matthew talked about the shadow of death, he may have been picturing in mind a real place. Some people believe that in the valleys, when the shadow is cast in the valley earlier than everywhere else, if you were to travel in the valley in the darkness of that valley, that's where thieves and robbers are lurking, waiting to catch a victim, to steal and perhaps kill you. These people that are sitting in the shadow of death, they themselves are in trouble of the thief. They may not be literally sitting in shadows, but spiritually speaking, in the Bible, there is one that Jesus says when this one comes, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's Satan. And so these people who are sitting in darkness, they don't realize how in trouble they are, how sick they are. And they don't realize that someone is coming to steal from them, to destroy their lives forever. That's their condition. And the Bible says, Matthew says, that Jesus went there. When Jesus came into this world as God eternal, God omnipotent, God who is holy, when God came into this world, he didn't go to Caesar's palace in Rome. He didn't go to a king or to a queen. He didn't go to the rich. He came down into the darkest places on earth. He came to the sinner, to those who needed him most. Jesus came to them. Those who were sitting in darkness, he went to them. If God waited for them to come to him, it never would have happened. There would be no hope for them. There's a story of a man who was paralyzed, sitting at a pool, and every day he's just hoping for someone to pick him up put him into the waters that he may be healed. And every day, nobody's there to pick him up and help him. And for years and years and years, he sat there, paralyzed, dying. And then all of a sudden, someone he did not know came walking to him. And it was Jesus. Jesus came to where he was. And when he came... He healed that man. And from that moment on, the man got up, picked up his bed, and went walking. Jesus went to those who were in sin, who were hurting, who were lost. He goes to all kinds of people. You know, this region of Galilee that Matthew is talking about, this was a, a metropolis of a place. It's where everybody around the world would come. You had both the rich and the poor together. You had those who were famous and those who were unknowns walking side by side with each other. You had the poor people on the streets and you had the rich merchants walking through. You had the common farmer with the common merchant and you had the soldiers of Rome walking and marching down the streets. Everybody from all over the world were there. And Jesus went to them. When I look back at my life, when I was nine years old 
and I first prayed and asked the Lord to save my life, when I look back at that moment as a child, I say, thank you, Lord, because you came to me. You found me, a nine-year-old boy, insignificant to the rest of the world, but in your eyes, I was a treasure, and you came to where I was. I'm telling you, no matter who you are today, or where you're from, or what you have done in the past, Jesus comes to you. And I believe he's here right now among us, visiting with every heart here tonight. What is your condition? Are you walking or standing or sitting in sin? The Lord is here. And I pray that he finds you right where you are. Praise the Lord. They were sitting in that darkness. They sat in darkness. And number two, they saw a great light. They saw a great light. Look at that same verse again. It says, the people have seen a great light. Amen. The people who sat in darkness, they saw not just a light. They saw a great light. Do you know? The name John the Baptist was mentioned in our verses here. John the Baptist, the great prophet of the Lord who prepared the way of Jesus to come. He preached repentance and he prepared the hearts of the people to receive Jesus as Savior. Jesus speaking about John the Baptist says that John was like a shining lamp, like this candle. This was John, a shining lamp to the people of darkness. Can you imagine at nighttime, if there's no light whatsoever, you could take this candle outside and it gives you quite a bit of light. And you can see at least somewhat of a distance around you. But what is the need of this candle once the great sun comes up in the dawn of the day and as the sun in all of its brilliance is shining on the earth, what's there a need of a candle anymore? John was like that candle that shining lamp. But when Jesus came, he was the great light to shine heaven's light all over the face of the earth. They saw a great light. And that light was the light of Jesus. And when we speak about the light of Jesus, we are talking about the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of who God is and who you are. When Jesus shines in truth, we learn the truth of a holy, omnipotent God who is the judge over all mankind. And we also learn the truth that we are sinners and we must be saved. The light of Christ when it shines, it shows the truth of who he is and who you are. I am a sinner and I am lost and I need to be saved by God. I need to be forgiven of my sin. That is the light of Jesus. And this great light, it appeared in order to reveal man's sin. 
Can you imagine all of you that have children? Maybe some of your children were up here singing just before. Imagine your child goes to the Indomaret and sees some candy on the shelf, doesn't have any money, so they take the piece of candy and they slip it in their pocket and they run on home. And what do they do? They go into their room, close the door, and in the dark, they eat that candy that they stole. But then here comes dad. He opens the door and he turns the light on. And immediately, all the sin has been exposed. There is that child in his hand or her hand. There's a stolen object, half of it in the hand, half of it in the mouth. But once the light is on, there's nowhere to hide. The father sees everything that the child has done. And the child will know immediately, I'm a sinner. I've done something wrong. And you know what the truth is? We don't have to teach our kids to do something wrong. Don't they already know how to do it without teaching them? A child, you, nobody has to teach you to do something wrong. It comes so naturally to all of us. Sin is in us, and it wants to come out. And so all of us, in the natural way, we are sinners. Someone said that we are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's who we are. It's what we do. And instead of teaching a child what he should not do, we have to teach them to do what's right and to follow God's word. To teach them to obey. But we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And you will know that when the light of Christ shines on your life. There's nowhere to hide. And all your sin is exposed. And God does not do that to beat you down. He doesn't do it to sort of scourge you punish you. He reveals it to you so that you'll come running to his son to be saved and to be forgiven of your sin. I'm thankful that the light of Christ has shined on my life and continues to shine on my life. And it exposes every wicked way in my heart. And I come to Jesus to find forgiveness and healing and deliverance. That great light appeared to reveal man's sin. And Matthew said right here in verse 17 that at that moment Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. It says that he preached, which means to go into the public and to cry out loud. And that's what Jesus did. He was proclaiming exactly what the heart of the problem was. Man was in the darkness of sin and he needed to repent. He needed to have a change of mind and to turn from his sin to God. He told them to repent, to acknowledge their sin. Stop trying to hide, but acknowledge your sin, to confess it to the Lord and to find salvation in Jesus. 
Oh, Lord, shine your light upon all of us. Matthew says that when Jesus preached, when the great light was shining, it says that the people saw a great light. Saw. And that word doesn't just simply mean with their eyes they saw something. It means that they saw with understanding. They understood what they saw. You see, because there were many when they met Jesus, there were many who understood who he was and who they were. They understood that they were in sin and they were dying in their sin and they needed to be saved by Jesus. They understood why he came. Not just the simple fact that he did come, but why he came. And that was to save man from sin. I believe if we were truly to be honest with ourselves, every single one of you, if you were honest with yourself, you would admit that you have sinned in your life. You would admit that there are things happening in your life, even right now, that you know God is not pleased with. If you would be honest with yourself, you would say, yes, I am also a sinner. Sin. We've thought sin. We've spoken sin. We've committed sin. And if you were honest, you would admit that you are a sinner and you need to be forgiven. So tonight, as I am preaching the word of God, his light is shining right now. His light. And I'm not talking about any lights that you're looking at right now. In your heart, in your mind, his light is shining. He's showing you who he is. He's showing you who you are and that you need him. Who understands it? Who among you understands these things? They saw it and they understood they needed him. Do you? Number three. They sat in darkness. They saw a great light. And number three. They sensed a new day. This is what Isaiah had been hoping for. He knew that this sin would continue, but he knew a day is coming. A day like no other. A day would come and everything would be made brand new. There's a new day coming for the sinner. And Matthew tells us they sensed a new day. Verse 16 again. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Light has dawned. We use those words when we talk about a sunrise. The dawn is the beginning of a brand new day. Just as the sun is about to come up, a new day is approaching and light is about to dawn. They sensed a new day. The Bible says right here in Matthew, in just a few verses, 
as Jesus was there in Galilee, he went to them. Those who sat in darkness, he went to them. And Matthew says that when he went to them in Galilee, verse 23, it says, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick, all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. These people who were sick, no matter what the disease was, no matter how long they've been suffering, when they found Christ, he touched them and he healed every single one of them. Now think of this for a moment. Think of the leper. A man who has a horrible skin disease. So horrible that no longer can he be at home anymore. He can't be in his community. He can't worship at the temple. They cast him outside the city where he has to spend the rest of his diseased life isolated and alone. In fact, the only friends a leper had were other lepers. But they congregated among each other outside the city, away from their wives, away from their children. In fact, I read that if a family wanted to give food to their father or their husband or son who was sick with leprosy, they would climb up on a hill, see their father at the bottom and take food and throw it to him because they could not approach the leper. They believed that if a leper was standing here and the wind was blowing this way, you couldn't stand downwind from them, otherwise you might catch their horrible disease. So you had to stay as far away as possible from a leper. And if that wasn't enough, a leper had to wear torn garments, grow his hair out, unkempt hair, and he would shout out, unclean, unclean, just in case you get too close. What a lonely, lonely life as a leper. But the Bible says that Jesus went to the leper. And when he went to the leper, he did something nobody else would dare do. He touched them. Those men, they had forgotten what the touch of a human hand was like. But Jesus went to them and he touched them and he healed them. Now what do you think it was like in the mind of a leper knowing I am now cleansed? Would he not say, today, it's a new day. I can go home. I can be with my family. I can see my children. I can go to the temple. I can be back to all the things I used to do. Today, praise the Lord, it's a new day. And now I can enjoy my life like never before. That's what Jesus did to so many people that he healed. It was literally a new day for them. And a new hope had risen in their hearts. But there was more to it. So much more than that. 
Because the new day that we're talking about was not just simply a person being healed, a blind man seeing, the ears of the deaf being opened. The real new day came when this same Jesus, with the same hands that touched the leper, the day that he stretched them out for you and for me, and those same hands that made all the stars of the universe, they were nailed to a cross for you and for me. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can have a brand new day. You can have a brand new day. Not just for today, but for all eternity to come. You can experience the new day. Light had dawned upon these people, but they would learn that at that resurrection Sunday morning, the light dawned like never before. It was a new day, a day that would change the course of history forever. And those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a new day waiting for you. A day where you are forgiven of your sin. A day where God calls you his child. A day where you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. A day when he seals you with everlasting life. A day where Jesus says, you're in my hand and no one, no one can snatch you away from me. That is a new day we all need. And speaking of shining star, <laughs> which is what our theme is about here today. Shining star. Did you know that there is not a star, although we call it a star, there is a shining star. We call it the morning star. And now we have figured out it's not actually a star, it's the planet Venus. But we still call it the bright morning star. And behind me is a picture of that morning star. You can see the bright object in the skies. It is the very last object in space that you'll be able to see just before the sun rises. Now, this may not mean much to you, but to a sailor who's sailing during the night on the open seas, to that person who is journeying through the forest or through the deserts, when they see this morning star appear, it tells them one thing. This star appearing means a new day is about to come. You see, because Venus, when it is setting in the horizon, when you see it at its brightest, it's signaling that the sun is about to rise, which is what's happening in this picture. And as the morning star is seen in the skies, it tells all the world that sees it, a new day is about to begin. The sun is about to rise, and you will have a brand new beginning in just a moment. Now, why is this important? Well, not just because it's the shining star or because of what it shows us, but because of Jesus, the great light. Jesus says in Revelation, I am the bright and morning star. 
I am that great light of heaven. And just as you look upon that morning star and know that a new day is coming for you, so look upon me. Look upon me. I am that morning star. And if you look upon me in faith, a new day is coming for you. If you will look upon Christ and put your faith in Him, God says, behold, I make all things new. And I will do something new inside of you. I will make you into a new creation. And the life that you will live, you won't just call it life. You're going to call it an abundant life. And the life which I give is not just for the next 20, 30, 50 years. The life I give is everlasting. And so the people in the Bible who sat in darkness, they saw this great light, and then they sensed a new day. And it wasn't in their physical healing, although I'm sure that gave them great excitement. It was in the fact that God became a man, and He took our place on a cross at Calvary. And instead of you being judged for your sin, the Lord Jesus took upon Himself the judgment of God. And when He died on the cross, the greatest miracle happened. He took upon Himself your sin. And He gave you His perfect, unblemished, holy righteousness. And every time I consider that, I can't help but think, Lord, God, when you look upon my life right now, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I've run to him for salvation. God, when you look upon this life, you see your son in me. Praise the name of Jesus. Where are you tonight? What is your condition tonight? Jesse, musicians, would you come? <clears throat> In just a moment, we're going to have our candlelight portion of our service. We're going to sing a worship song, and if you have your candle with you, you'll, you might want to get that ready. But before we do that, what is your condition today? As the light of the truth is shining, will you allow that to shine on your heart and admit, as we all should, Yes, God, I'm also a sinner. Yes, God, I need to be saved. This is why Jesus came. And the Bible says that there is no other salvation other than what we find in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you tonight. If you have never asked the Lord Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sin, if you've never done that before, then you don't know what Christmas is about at all. You might see Christmas tree and candles, but until you surrender your life to Jesus, Christmas will mean nothing to you. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Lord God, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, because preaching your word is not about me. It's not about skill. 
It's not about how well I prepare something. No, preaching your word is just telling the people what you already have said. And I believe that as we hear your word, the Holy Spirit is at work right now in the hearts of everyone who is here. And I pray, Lord, that there, if there is a Christian today who knows that they have not been living life in a righteous way, or as you say, that we must be walking in the light. But maybe there's a Christian here who says, you know what? I've been sinning in my life. And now I've realized what I've done. And I am guilty of it. I pray, Lord, that right now you will call your son or daughter back to you again. That they will find forgiveness and healing and deliverance in your name. And you will give them a brand new day today. A new walk in their life. And I pray for those who may not know you tonight, Lord. If there's anyone here today that has never called upon your name to be saved, I pray that tonight is the night. Tonight is the night that a new day begins. A day of forgiveness. A day of new birth. A day of everlasting life. A day of being filled with the love and the mercy and the grace of God. If there's anyone here tonight like that, Holy Spirit, find them. Find them now and help them to turn to Jesus and be saved. Lord, save us. We call upon your name. Forgive us of our sin. Help us to know you more. Help us to walk by faith. And thank you for all those who call upon the name of Jesus. They are saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' wonderful, matchless name. Amen. Amen.